middle finger that Arun's holding up represents a light that is red. Mm. Right now, right? Is, is it red? Can you confirm that, Arun? Want me to yeah. FaceTime you guys? No, I don't want you to FaceTime yeah. anybody. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying we don't trust you, but we need video well, evidence. I don't trust myself. Right. That's a good call. One, two, three reds. We're good. We're good. It's only supposed to be two reds. <laughs> That's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome back to The Higher Standard, the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. Sitting next to me, as always, is the one and only Saeed Omar. And that over there is Chris Nahibi. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Yeah, uh, Arun is also back there, but uh, we're questioning whether or not we should terminate him for recent failures. <laughs> On-the-job experience is lacking. I've been demoted to intern again. Oh. No, 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 you were not demoted to intern. Uh, but we are having internal discussions with HR, which you happen to also be, about your performance. Yeah. So, needs uh, improvement. Write yourself up and give it to us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Strike one. <laughs> yeah. This uh, this particular episode is going to be interesting because we got a lot of shit talking to do. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like expert filled rages, you might want to. Well, you should probably listen anyway, yeah. but you might want to listen with caution. Who doesn't like Who doesn't like that though? Well, uh, there's one in particular reviewer who didn't like it per se. But stick uh, to banking, they said. I think stick to banking, Said. Wow. Stick to banking and economics. I'm insurance. I'm more than just thing. a banker. Okay, don't pigeonhole me. Well, we are going to. Well, the person actually did ask us to look at something, so we are going to address that, mm-hmm. and we are going to walk through why we did what we did. But before we go there, a warning. <laughs> okay. I often call Said names in the show. Yeah. Like Said, and let's just role play a little bit. Okay. Fuck you. You're an asshole. You're ugly. How does that make you feel? Feels great. Okay, me too. I feel like I feel you love good. me. I feel a less stressed now. It's right. like cortisol rush. <laughs> right, right. Arun, you're not chubby, but you are a dick. So oh, you're not it. not chubby dick. I'll take that. That doesn't mean that I don't like you. Right. That doesn't mean that I don't like Arun. Right. And if I'm talking shit on insurance, yes. That doesn't mean that I don't like the insurance industry or the space. Exactly. So, food for thought, kids. Everybody is fair game on the show. Mm-hmm. Including Zillow, who's going to get their ass handed to them later. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So this particular episode, we're covering inflation. The breakdown from August 2023 is out, and we got it all in one single chart. And I got to tell you, it's as sexy as you might imagine. Incredibly fascinating. And, of course, Said will always have the numbers for you when we get there. Yep. Banks load up on $1.2 trillion in risky, quote, hot deposits, which is actually bullshit. I'm going to explain why that's not... an real clear picture of what's really going on and there's a whole lot more to the story but most people aren't sophisticated enough to know the banking regulation to understand what that means they're not, they're not in the know they're not in the know and frankly there's a lots of, lot of bankers that i work with that probably wouldn't know either so this is not unique to anybody it's just mm-hmm. if you haven't lived through it you probably don't know got it then real incomes fell last year that, that's right you and i we all made a little bit less money I, I feel it yeah not only did inflation go up but you also got um got less yeah yeah so uh, that's what we call a double whammy. I blame you. Me? Yeah. Just out of morbid curiosity, why is that? Uh, you didn't expect me to ask, did you? Yeah, yeah no, I'll leave that alone because yeah. it affects more than just you. <laughs> yeah, good call. There's also been a home price shift as tracked by the one and only dog shit Zillow. Again, not the company, the people who work there. They're lovely. But their data, their data is aimed at real estate agents and typically comes in uh, a little optimistic and rosy. If there's one thing we want people to take away from the show... Just don't trust their data. Yeah, or if they give you data, like what the stuff that we are, we are going to share, just know that it is spun in a particular way in some instances. This one might actually be fair. Mm-hmm. 
Then we'll talk about August core inflation, excluding food and energy, rising to 0.3%, which was actually hotter than expected. Mm -hmm. And I would like to point out that is the second use of the adjective hot in the <laughs> intro today. It is it's a little yeah. hot in here. This is a hot one. Yeah. And then uh, we'll kind of roll the show uh, after that and see if we have time for fears over access to credit and some of the highest levels. We did have a question from a listener that I want to address. We will address the question. And then, of course, we will spare a little bit of time at the very, very tail end, the ass end, if you will, of the show to talk about um, a three-star review. A three-star review. Yeah. But you know what? I think we can turn that listener around and explain we what we meant and why. We do have a good track record of turning it around. We just need to make sure they can listen to it. Although, fun story before we jump in. Um, I don't know how many of you out there in listener land have coworkers. Mm -hmm. I've got a couple of them on the podcast, Said and Arun. Yeah. And um, we uh, we found out some really, really bittersweet news. It's very sad. I don't know where this and, is going. Uh, Arun, I, I don't know if you were, you've been made aware of this, but I feel like now might be the perfect opportunity. We're criticizing somebody for giving us a three-star review, and I know that that sounds painful mm -hmm. and hurtful. Yeah. You feel like you do a five-star job, right? Every time. Well, it is. it has come to my attention, and uh, we validated this is true. That you, sir, were one of our one-star reviews. Oh, I don't know how that happened. But it did happen. It did happen. But the comment... No, 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 no buts. Hold on, the commentary was very five-star worthy. You can't talk shit on a three-star review if you're giving us a one-star... You gave your own show a one-star review. You know, I gave that review before I jumped on. Did you change it? I did. It was clearly a one-star... <laughs> it was a one-star show before I got on. <laughs> what a piece of shit move. But I'm impressed. Technically, it was a one-star. Chris, oh. Chris, Chris is the well, one. I saw, star. What you, I saw what you did there. Wow! Yeah, like, and yeah. The dad joke, it just went. Yeah, I think tri tip last episode is a much better dad joke. Much better tri tip. Yeah. yeah. Wah, wah. yeah. Wah. Did he go wang wang? <laughs> <laughs> and for anybody who's questioning why a room might be uh, a little bit lackluster performance tonight, he is so worried that we're gonna kick the shit out of him after the show <laughs> for not doing something right. You'll understand why later. Yeah, you'll understand why later on a forthcoming show which will be a very surprise and interesting episode. Mm. So let's jump right into it. From CNBC, here's the inflation breakdown for August 2023 in one single chart. The August 2023 Consumer Price Index rose 3.7% on an annual basis, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics said on Wednesday. Gasoline prices jumped 10.6% in August alone, following a 0.2% increase in July, according to Wednesday's CPI report. The BLS adjusts those numbers for seasonal trends, of course. Gasoline costs $3.84 a gallon on average as of Tuesday, according to AAA. Gasoline was the largest contributor to inflation in August, accounting for over half the increase, according to the BLS. And I will pause here to say, we told you that was going to happen when we talked about oil and gas costs were going to go up. There was a deal cut by OPEC, which we knew was going to impact the U.S. oil prices. Mm -hmm. There was also a strategic sell-down of the U.S. oil reserves, which the Biden administration has been doing in the background, right. which we believe is in part, in a very small part, been propping up in uh, GDP in general. Right. So those two things combined should have been no surprise that gasoline prices rose. Now, the question could be asked, and so I don't think we've talked about this, so this will be the first time. Okay. Um First time, huh? First time. For we don't have me. a lot of first times remaining for you and I. I know we've been we've been that married couple that's been together for a long time. Mm. Is it still fun for you? It's still fun. Okay. Yeah. You're handsome. Okay. All right. That's for that reviewer who said that we had a bromance going on. Yeah. Shout yeah. out. You're goddamn right. Mm. Um, let's just say you're in the White House, okay? And let's just say you're one of the five percent who 
aren't going through some kind of mental disorder at this particular junction in time. And I did not leave any cocaine. You did not leave any cocaine in any rooms. Right. We don't know how that got there. Yeah. But let's say you wanted to help prop up GDP during your administration. Mm. But you don't want to hurt what's going on with the Fed and some of the economic decisions they're going to make. Yes. You know the Fed has said on multiple occasions that they look to core inflation, which excludes? Food and energy. Food and energy. Energy, also gasoline. Which is included, which is why this jump in gasoline prices is a prime example of why the Fed likes to remove uh, energy from it, you know, its decision process and why they look at core inflation. It's too volatile. They can't control this. Yeah, they cannot control it. Mm -hmm. So you can either do nothing to try to prop up GDP, mm -hmm. or maybe you can strategically release some oil reserves, have the Ukrainian war effort, where there's been a lot of selling of of, of Are we putting our tinfoil hats on now? Bro, after the whole alien thing in Mexico, my bro, fucking tinfoil hat's been was, on for 48 hey, hours, ask bro. Ask Odin, we were on the drive over here. I'm like, I got to find a way to weave this in. You don't have to weave it in. I'm putting it right there front and center. How come, how come everyone on the street isn't talking about this? You want to know why? Because, first of all, that guy who, who put him out there, he once before, this has already happened. This is not me being, you know, hyperbole here. This, this is real. Yeah. Okay? He's already had a doll wrapped in paper mache, which looked just like those little motherfuckers. <laughs> That he's presented as a real alien. Why they look just like E.T.? They look just like, I, it's like he watched every fucking alien movie out there and was like, make one of those. And I'm just going to, like, I'm not a fucking biologist here, but I'm just going to say if 70, first of all, they all look like Nancy Pelosi. So, so let's just, let's just start with that. If Nancy Pelosi <laughs> didn't have makeup on, they look like, just like one of these little motherfuckers, all right? Yeah. But the RG, fact. RGB, Nancy Pelosi, a little yeah. combo action. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You're a terrible human being. <laughs> was, I thought you were going to go with Mitch McConnell. That's fine, too. Okay. So, all right, look. I get that they look like that. But then he goes so far as to say one of them had eggs inside of it. I'm sorry. You said oh, it was I saw that. 70% human, but the 30% now, all of a sudden, humans lay eggs? How do you know it's 70% human? Like, because that's it, what he said. That's what he, because he did an x-ray. I don't know about you, bro. I feel. You know what I feel sorry for? That poor son of a bitch that was standing in the photos with the mummies? No, no, no. It was the worst person. Okay. So, two people that went there were former U.S. military. And one in particular had been on all the circuits here. And he's a respected guy. He did the, the whole thing in Congress here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And he's very well respected. Has a huge track record. He immediately got on Twitter and said, I got nothing to do with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was, he was just like, I'm out. Like, he this ain't it, bro. He just, those are the guys I feel bad for. Because he went there as like a legitimate guy saying, okay, we just have this United States. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to Mexico. We're going to do it there. The world is going to recognize. And then this asshole rolls out two suitcases with aliens inside and goes, look, I can prove aliens exist. There's yeah. one. <laughs> the worst the worst part about it is, is none of his story makes any sense none of it none of it he's like we found these in peru and y'all didn't want to tell the peruvians yeah what the hell he's like you just hijacked you it? know that mexico and peru are not the same country right right we understand so y'all just found this in the cave and we're like fuck it don't tell anybody we're gonna, we're gonna show them to congress yeah the americans are dumb they'll believe yeah. it and i love how it started off first of all nobody covered it and then like that night it was just jokes all night long yeah yeah i spent half my night last night because i couldn't sleep Normally, I'd be reading economic data, just looking at ways people making fun of this dude. Yeah. It was great. That kind of stuff. You know what happens to me? When I see stuff like that come out, I'm like, what are you trying to divert my attention away from? Yeah. That's what I think of. Yeah. What is Nancy Pelosi buying now? <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> okay, but you were, to your point, you're like, if you were in the White House, what would I do to prop up the GDP? Yeah. I would try to get some infrastructure bills passed. Oh, look at you. Infrastructure bills. Mm -hmm. How is that going to solve this problem? Because it takes a long time for those contracts to get executed. 
which is a big reason why inflation is still high now. Do tell, Saeed. What do you mean? Well, I mean, give you some more details. By the time, by the, time the infrastructure bill gets passed by Congress and they can reach out, you know how those government contracts go. People bid on the process. It takes time. Once they accept, and then you find the contractors, you get, they do the plans. I mean, an infrastructure bill got passed a year, year and a half ago. One point, ain't shit changed. $1.2 trillion. Yeah. That money's getting spent now. Yeah. So that's impacting inflation big time. Now, that's a lot of the construction jobs that are out there. Yeah, which has been a weird thing to prop up the economy with. Right. But let's uh, let's go over some of these numbers that I thought were interestingly high, if that's the that, yeah. word. Let's do it. Motor vehicle insurance, 19.1% mm-hmm. rise. Also insurance. Hey, we're foreshadowing, kids. Foreshadowing. We're, Later we're, in the show. We've done this. Women's outerwear, 9.3%. Why women going outside? Wait, what y'all doing? Yeah. Come on now. Ship fare, 9.9%. But rent of primary residence. Mm. What was that at, Saeed? Shelter came in at a positive 7.3%. Now, that's down. So here, here, this is how it goes. And we've routinely talked on the show how this component of the report takes a long time to come down. But this is the first time it took a, a big jump. Well, if you consider it a big jump. So from March till now, and March was 8.2%, we're now just hitting 7.3%. Mm-hmm. Okay? So this is a big component of the report. It takes up about 34%. We're going to need this to come down ultimately. But we know, as Chris mentioned, energy prices, the, the month-over-month increase of 10.6%, made up of half the increase. Okay? One thing that we need to talk about is there are two inflation reports that the Fed routinely cites. This isn't their favorite one. No. No. The other one is PCE, right? Personal consumption expenditures. Yeah. This one's my favorite because it also shows that Frankfurters are down 2.6%. Frankfurters. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Listen, anybody who wants a dog, you out there, 2, 2.6% and down. That, and that is that is a big reason why the Fed likes to look at PCE more. They change out the basket of goods that they routinely look at month over month and year over year. They change it out more frequently. Also... Um, they understand in the PCE report that sh- the shelter component is very sticky and it takes a long time to come down. So it only impacts the report 18% versus the 34% in CPI. Yep. Right? So um, now, b- before we started on the whole mummified aliens, um, we talked about how the Fed likes to remove the energy component of the report because it's too volatile. But here's the problem with gasoline and oil. It bleeds into all the other components. Because most of those components have energy costs to producing them. Yes, exactly. So, like, oil and gasoline goes into your airfare. This your is the second fuel. episode in a row where you were, like, choking. I'm trying hard not to yeah, cough. I can tell. I'm, it, doing, I'm doing it for the listeners. If people who are not watching the show probably think that I'm messing with you right now. You know what this is, right? What? This is my Jordan Game 6. I'm trying to carry the show for you right now. First of all, I'm proud that you didn't reference a Kobe era situation. I knew I had to. Yeah, this is only this is what I need to do. I realized. Yeah, that's you give me a dumb me. look stare every time <laughs> yeah. I reference Kobe. You reference a Kobe thing. I was like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah that one I got. Jordan yeah. Game Six. Yeah, Jordan Game Six. I got. It. He had the flu. Yeah, Kobe. Uh, you know, he, sorry, Kobe. Scotty Pippen carried him off court. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. Tell Forty me, and slip. Tell me, right? I didn't mean that. <laughs> yeah. Tell me. Tell me you don't know basketball without telling me you don't know basketball. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't know basketball. Yeah. So, anyways. It bleeds into all the other sectors. You got jet fuel, the airline industry. If you're getting packages or anything delivered, your goods, those those delivery costs, those goods costs are going to increase. 
You think the companies that are having to pay these extra oil and gas prices are just going to eat it? No, they're going to pass that on to the consumer. So those prices of things are going to go up. And what, I know we're, we're diving into the weeds here and some people might get lost. No, we're actually going to retouch on this topic at the end when we talk about insurance once again. Because, again, as costs for manufacturers, suppliers, or servicers mm -hmm. increase, generally speaking, there is a lag. And that lag ultimately means those costs are passed on to you, the consumer. It is very rare mm -hmm. to have a business in any sector which will not ultimately pass that on to you, the consumer, because they're trying to maintain their profitability, their margins of profit. Right. But ultimately what we're really trying to get at, I know we're diving into the weeds here, but right now what the Fed is doing and what they're attempting to do is bring down inflation by increasing their Fed funds rate. There's a Fed meeting coming up next week. We believe that there will not be a rate increase, right? And why that matters is every time they've increased, it puts more pressure and stress on the economy. It puts stress on people's jobs. It puts stress on people's like bills that they have to pay. It puts stress on all you know industries and sectors across the economy. So the sooner we can get this in, these inflation numbers down, the sooner we can come out of this on the other side. Agreed. Uh, I will point out one last number from that uh, chart that at the top of it, if you guys do kind of browse this chart, the very top, there is a 57.6% increase for food at employee sites and schools. Mm. The thing that blows me away is that we often talk about things like inflation in the context of an aggregate average number of 3.2%. Mm. But how that impacts all of us really depends on what we're buying more of. For example, if you're buying baby formula and food, it's up 8.4%. Right. If you're buying that, that's part of your average. But I'm not buying that right now. Right. So it's not part of my average. But we're all going to work or going to school. Right. Right? So, and yeah, to your, to your point there, you know, a lot of people get frustrated when I've heard people in, in, in my, our DMs, they'll say, the Fed likes to look at the component that removes food and energy. Food and energy impacts my life every single day. Yeah. I need y'all to start looking more at that. So, again, look at this here, and you got food up 57.6% at certain locations, obviously. Aggregate food is, is, is a lot less than 57%, mm -hmm. and gasoline has gone up. So the two core things that the Fed doesn't look at have gone up dramatically, but everything else seems to be going back down right. the other way. So it, it's it's a food for thought, literally, mm -hmm. process here. When you look at the, the numbers that come out, you really have to get into the details of these line-by-lines and look at them to really understand how this might be impacting you individually. Right, and then one last thing I want to mention to you know, cap this off is typically speaking, when gas prices tend to go up like this, it really impacts the consumer within three to eight months. Okay, it really affects their wallet. It affects their spending. So, with gas prices going up, it's still up now in September. Okay, so we already know what the next CPI report is probably going to look like as far as energy goes. Yep. Okay, so over the next three to eight months. It's going to affect the consumer spending habits. You also have student loan repayments coming back online. That's also going to affect, you know, retail spending, consumer spending overall in general. First payments due in October. First payments due in October, right? Um, and then the San Francisco Fed already came out. We mentioned on the last episode that all the excess savings over the pandemic, that's already been depleted. So consumer spending is going to basically going to come down over the upcoming months, which is what we've continuously cited on the show that – you know, Q3, Q4 this year, you'll really start to see an impact. Yep. So if you guys recall, we had a little March contagion period in the banking sector not too long ago. Mm -hmm. And similarly, 
We had all this stuff in the media, concern, fears. It even caused a couple bank runs. Shut down a couple banks we've heard of before. Mm -hmm. Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, First Public Bank. Right. All gone. And then nothing. Silence. If you were unsophisticated, you might think, hey, you know what? Maybe the banking sector's safe again. Maybe they're okay. Right. And I would argue that's absolutely not true. And I would say that the headline from the Wall Street Journal, which I'm about to read you, banks load up on $1.2 trillion in risky, quote, hot, end quote, deposits. How hot? Like on a scale Very of one, hot. On one to ten. Hot. Remember that? Remember that? Mm. There was that website, Hot or Not? Hot or Not.com. Great website. Fucking amazing website. Yeah. They got everybody else put their own photos up there. <laughs> I know. I mean, damn. Brilliant. And they basically turned that into a dating app with Tinder, in case, Arun's case, Grinder. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, thank I you. saw what you did there. So it took me a little while to weave it into the show, but I got there. I, I accept it. Yeah, and they have been they have been top of mind not because they used the app, but because they they told their employees if you don't come back to the office, <laughs> you're laid off. And 48 percent of their workforce laid off. No way. Yeah, that's a real thing. Wow. Grinder literally said, "You're all come back in the office, and those who don't come in, you're gone. Mm. Literally half gone. See ya. Yeah. Bye. Curtains. Yeah. So, why is this Wall Street Journal title so inflammatory? Broker deposits rose 86% from a year earlier, and regulators are growing concerned. Now, in order to get here, we have to define some terms, okay? Mm -hmm. Broker deposits are basically when I go out to somebody else like Saeed, who is a broker of CDs, and say, hey, I want to take a bunch of your CDs and place them on my balance sheet. I'm going to pay you a premium for it, and then obviously Saeed gets a bit of a commission. Those are considered risky or hot uh, because they're not relationship-based. They're not sticky. Mm -hmm. They're there for a certain period of time, and they roll off. Mm -hmm. So what banks will typically do is they'll buy, let's say, um, six-month CDs or year-long CDs. Usually it's six months or so, or maybe even less, three months, maybe a month, in this, in this space to pump their balance sheet up as far as deposits go. But they're paying really high rates for them. You're basically paying for the deposits. But they roll off. So they typically have them staggered to roll on and roll off through a period of time. And are they doing this to satisfy, like, regulatory requirements or – you know, the ma the public, because from like, I'm in banking, so it's hard for me to really answer this question. I can kind of geek out on stuff like this. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the, the you know, everyday person that banks at, at a bank, they don't really know the bank's deposit situation. Well, so if you're in the space, there's a number of reasons to do it. You could lock in returns on interest rates if mm -hmm. you have more more deposits on 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 deck you can mm -hmm. loan out more dollars if you can get more for the loans that you're making versus what you're paying for the deposits mm -hmm. typically that would be a very low cost thing because let's say i'm paying right now top of market five five and a half percent for some of these brokered deposits right i'd have to make a loan at six and a half or seven and a half percent which some banks can do right but this is not small community banks this is bank of america jp morgan chase Citigroup, and then obviously the, the the small community banks too this is not unique to size right this is all of them so there's a note here on the chart from the Wall Street Journal which says changes to the FDIC rules in 2021 resulted in fewer deposits that would have been previously considered brokered being reported as such. So they changed the rules a little bit to what is and is not truly a broker deposit because you can pay high cost for deposits for to anyone. That doesn't mean they're necessarily, quote, brokered. Mm -hmm. What I'm getting at is what people don't realize in reading this article is there's a tiny, tiny, tiny regulatory nuance. Yeah. These are not hot, risky deposits as defined by regulation unless banks have been downgraded to a bad or lower status. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who are unfamiliar, banks are typically rated between one and five. One, you're amazing. You've got only where, you know, only down to go from there. Mm -hmm. Five, you're basically going out of business soon. Three and four, 
Three is probably acceptable. Four is probably troubled bank, right? It's probably okay. kind of where you're at. Okay. Anything three or higher, three, four, or five, and you're required to risk weight your capital differently because of these types of deposits being on your balance sheet because they're considered riskier, mm -hmm. right? So banks went through this position of time where they had the contagion run. Said, oh, shit, we got to load up on, on extra deposit, extra liquidity on our balance sheet. And they had all this runoff. Right. All banks, it looks like, pumped up their balance sheet a little bit with some of these broker deposits. They paid for deposits to bridge the shortfall of the money that they were losing vis-a-vis -vis broker deposits. Now, they can do that because they're paying their actual deposit in their balance sheet. They're just paying higher for the interest rate. Right? right. So, okay, Chris, what's the problem? Well, if you're a three, four, or five rated bank, these all appear to be riskier, hot deposits. So what this article is basically saying is many more banks than you will ever know because it's not public have been downgraded to three or four status by the FDIC. And as a result, these numbers are climbing. Mm -hmm. That's the read between the lines summary here is that the fears that caused the contagion run should never cause the contagion run on deposits. Right. But the weakness in the banking infrastructure is not gone. It's just as bad, if not worse, right. than, than it was then. Mm. That's the underlying problem. Yeah, and I think another problem here, too, is really to get people to understand what the FDIC is trying to accomplish here. we got to remember, they're, they're an insurance company, right? What, they're, what, they're, what they do is insure everyone's deposits, right, up to 250 grand, Right. Uh, per per person at per, each. It's, it's by vesting, yeah. So if if you have it for your name or you have it for your trust name, those are independent of one another. Yeah, but if I have two hundred fifty thousand in two in each account, um, only two hundred fifty thousand is insured to me personally, not for each account. Yes, if it's all in the same vesting, in the same yeah. name, right? Yeah, the same. Name. So the FDIC doesn't have enough money to support all forty seven hundred banks out there. No, but you want to know it's an interesting little fact as well. Mm -hmm. When they take a bank that's performing well, like a two or three rated bank, and they move it to a three or four rated bank, yes, right, their their cost to regulate you goes up significantly on a quarterly basis. Mm -hmm. So they make more money now that they have downgraded you. True, but still, I mean, not not enough to cover more banks, right? Like I think they have something in the ballpark of uh, over a hundred billion dollars. Yeah, but let, let's think this through. 120 billion, I Let, want to say. Let's think this through pragmatically. Oh, can you look that up while you're uh, you, the the fund? Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's look this through pragmatically. If you're a bank that's in trouble, and then your regulator says, "Hey, you're in trouble. Now we're going to charge you more money, causing you more trouble." Because right now, what you're going through is an earnings recession. We talked about this for other sectors and industries. A lot of industries and sectors, not just banking, are going to start making less money. Yeah. Right. And because they're going to make less money because consumer discretionary spending is pulling back because consumers are just making less money and they're right. getting taxed with this inflation. Right. And banks are tax. going to be making less money because they're not going to be making loans out there right now. And now their regulator is going to charge them significantly more money to regulate them. Mm -hmm. It's like a triple whammy. Yes. You told us to go to go shore up this deposit risk because you're worried about FDIC capital. You told us to go do these things. Banks did it. Yes. Now you're going to downgrade them because you want to say that you're regulating them and you have look, oversight. Look, we're, we're out in front of it. We're covering our asses, guys. Be careful. Well, right? I mean, look, and let's be honest, it's, it's their job and there are some there is some weakness in the sector. I get that. Yeah. But then you're going to go on top of that and charge them more money yeah. to do that. It's it's a compounding effect. These these are one of the, the, the red flags that we look at and we know 
We know they can't afford to continue to raise the Fed funds rate because we know the stress that's in this sector as one proxy for so many others. Yes. Right? This is where the pain is. And if it's, it's not, here, I'll, I'll give it to you in a, different, in a different experience. Okay. Let's go to the next article, Room. By the numbers, we'll talk about median household income. Okay. Okay. This is according to Axios, and I've got a, a chart for it that Arun will pull up momentarily. By the numbers, real median household income fell 2.3% to $74,580. That, that's a, that's a, a big leap for most people when you think about the fact they're also paying for inflation. Yes. Last year's historically high inflation caused the decline. The normal income numbers were adjusted by a 7.8% inflation rate, mm -hmm. the census said. Are we already in a recession is the question that I have for everybody else. They basically are tracking the income for everyone in a household over the age of 15. Yeah. That's your boy doing God's work. Yeah, you did some research there. Huh? Yeah. yeah, I got you. So the chart that the room pulled up from this particular article looks at U.S. real median household income. And I would point, up, point out that just after 2020, it's going down. <laughs> Not in a good way. Not in a good way. It's, it's going down at a pretty, pretty rapid cadence. And people would look at this chart and say, well, Chris, it's going from under 80,000 to you know, still above, halfway above 70,000. It's not a big shift. But I ask you, for what about the people that want to buy homes? Yeah. Well, now look at the context of people who want to buy homes that can't afford them. Look at the context of, of people's rent has been going up for a very, very long period of time. Affordability is at an all-time low. Think about all the businesses that people spend on for discretionary spending. You know that gasoline costs are up. You know that travel has been up. You know that leisure has been up. You know that student loans coming back. And we've, we've covered multiple articles in the past now which says that people are going to have to choose between groceries and mm -hmm. student loans at some point in time. Right. And I asked the question about a recession for a real reason. In January of 2020, Two. Yes. That quarter, which ended in March of 2022, reported in April, we saw negative GDP growth. Yes. The next quarter, ending in uh, June of 2022, Q2, reported in uh, July of 2022, had negative GDP growth. Right. By all outward traditional measures, that was the start of a recessionary economy. The last 10 out of 10 times. And the National Bureau of Economic Research has not opined on this as of yet. So it's still a possibility that it may, in fact, have been a recession from then till now. Mm -hmm. And then you start looking at data like this. Sure. Well, we looked it up, didn't we? I, I, we found a reason, maybe a loophole that they used to get out of it. Is yes. when you took that and you average it with the uh, gross domestic income mm -hmm. and you average them together, it, it ended up being a, a slight positive. But gross domestic income as a proxy after this massive artificial stimulus period shouldn't be considered in my opinion shouldn't be considered in the same way and if you look here at this same chart that, that Arun brought up what are you dying i'm choking like you it's like, <laughs> i'm telling you you got me sick you son of a bitch i knew you were gonna do this shit to me <sighs> anyway so if you look at the chart there was a methodology methodology change in u.s real median household income yeah just before 2020 as well i guarantee you that change which is indicated by the lines that Arun's pulled up and if you're not watching on youtube Roll on over there. Smash the like button. Hook up with the bell. All Do the, all the nasty stuff. All the sexy stuff. Yeah, we're over there. And while you're at it, if you haven't left us an honest five-star review, you're going you're gonna to find out later in this episode why you should. Because somebody left us a three-star review. We need, some, we need some defenders out there. No, no, no. Look, I, everybody has their feelings. We got all up in this person's feelings, and I want to address them. We will address them. In but a go very ahead. crass, rude way. Go to Apple or Spotify. Leave us an honest five-star review. 
And look at the three-star review. Tell us what you think. Yeah. In the comment section over at YouTube. Yeah. See what I did there? I'm waiting for him to do it. I'm in engaging the oh, algorithm. <laughs> All right. So I guess my point here is this, is that you can't have a methodology change and then have an unprecedented set of circumstances for stimulus and then expect the real median household income or the average in your case to really, a gross domestic income, to be a proxy for an exception for a recessionary declaration. Yeah. Does that make sense? And first of all, and if that is the case, come out and address it. Uh, what's the National Bureau of Economic Research, Enber? Say it. Why haven't you said anything? Did they lay everybody off? What are they is doing over there? there? Are they sleeping? I think somebody walked in there and was like, hey, guys, look, um, I need you to take a couple of years off. Yeah. <laughs> come back in 25. You know what it is, right? Huh. Somebody went in there and they were like, all right, everybody, got to return to the office. Like, what? Nah. If I come back to the office, I'm slacking. <laughs> so, what, so basically, the thing that happened to Grinder happened to them? They're quiet quitting. That's what yeah. they're doing over there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, Timmy. Um, you with Timmy. I, Timmy's an iconic name. It is. Hey, Timmy, I um, I haven't seen that report on the recessionary economy. Is it coming my way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's coming my way. Mm. It's, it's coming your way. Just, uh, just look in your email for it. It'll be there tomorrow. By the way, I got a bone to pick with Timmy. This son of a bitch. Okay. Apple Watch Ultra 2 already? I know. With it with the face, it looks really cool. Can, and you know I use that dude, face. Dude, we just got this watch a year ago. The modular face, and that's the one I use. Now it's even more cool. Come on. But dude. I don't get it with my watch. I think the next one. Unbelievable. I know. And this is the so I buy my wife and I buy new Apple iPhones every other year. And then, I'm I'm like three years. And then Sorry, you know, are you crying I'm in the middle old, of that? <laughs> I'm, I'm like, holding a cough. I'm like three years, man. Yeah, man. So every other year we buy an Apple iPhone, and then every other year in between we buy an Apple Watch. So we'll buy an Apple iPhone this year and the Sounds next year. Very Apple Watch. structured. It's very structured. Yeah. Bro, when you're buying two of these motherfuckers at a time and they're expensive, you yeah. know. You tend to take note. You tend to you tend to be like, all right, how are we gonna structure this in a way that doesn't sound like I'm a cheap ass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I had a buddy go recently call call me up and was like, we were talking, and he goes, Hey man. You know, you're one of the, you're one of the most silent ballers I know. One of the most silent. You, listen, if there's anything, like, if there's anything you're not, is a silent baller, my friend. Okay, fuck you. Let's okay. start there. I, it wasn't. I, I didn't take it as a compliment. I took it as like a compliment. This. <laughs> it is. Like he basically said, like you're a creative cheap motherfucker. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> but I'm, you know, you're cerebral with with your shit talking. Cerebellum. Yeah. Yeah. He gave it to me. Yeah. You just tell everybody on the podcast my black card. And then he kept looking at me too. No, I'm using the black card as a reference to explain to people that it's not what they think it is. Don't don't villainize. Come on, man. Don't, you know what you're doing. Don't be that guy. Come on. Doing what? Always referencing. Oh, so I was at the airport. You could just say I was at the airport. You don't got to say I was at the Centurion Lounge. You know they're starting to cut people out of those lounges now? <laughs> they should. They're starting to cut people out. They're like, so if you have this, like a platinum card. The platinum they're, members? They're pushing. They're, no, you have to have What do you think about the platinum members? Tell me. Me? Yeah. And the lovely people. That are inside the Centurion Lounge. Ooh, are they in the... They're sitting on section. It's they're sitting where you no longer have a seat. No, that doesn't happen anymore. So most of them now have a separate roped off centurion section. It says for you know real wealthy people only. <laughs> 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 I'm kidding. Please, nobody leave me a review. Yeah. Like that was just a joke. Just a joke. Yeah, it's not like I'm taking the private terminal to Hawaii or anything. Right. Um, all right. Let's let's quickly shift to the Zillow article before I get myself into a deeper hole. Yeah, exactly. I didn't take advantage of this. I look, and I will say this because I'm gonna have to defend myself proactively here. I only talk about the black card because it's not what people think that it is. I know it's not sexy. It's not something that everyone's like, "Oh my god, you have a black card? Come right this way." Ninety nine point nine percent of people are like, "It's a fucking card. What do you want from me?" It's not a big deal. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I'm not impressed. I'll never forget the first time I saw one. 
I went to dinner with uh, somebody I didn't know and somebody I knew. And we split the bill. And he threw his card in, and I took it to check the bill over because I got to still check the bill. I'm not there yet. I got to make sure I'm itemizing. Like, okay, do we get charged for anything? Mm. I open it up. His card slid out, and it fell. It was too heavy. He, he didn't slide it in the little pocket. So I went to pick it up, and I was like, this motherfucker right here. Yeah, a black card? Why don't you just cover my bill, dog? Why are you paying? Why, why aren't you offering to pay for my bill? You got a black card. Why did the urban come out like, with, the, with the cover my bill, dog? Like, why couldn't it be like, sir, like, friend? Are you? Don't, like, don't, Chris, don't be that guy, dog. Dog. You're, you're a real piece of shit. Every time you, cough, you laugh, you cough now. It's the best. So now, <laughs> so now my whole job is to make you laugh so you cough your ass off all night long. Yeah. Come on, hack it up. You know you want to cough right now. I want to. Yeah. I'm going to hold it in, though. <laughs> all right, so. I'm going to do dock it. <laughs> you're going to dock it. You're going to slide it in and leave it there. Yeah. All right, so this, according to Lance Lambert, I've been following him on X, formerly known as Twitter, for a while now. And I got to tell you, I, I like a lot of the data that he puts out. And at least according to this article, it seems like he was a contributor vis-a-vis -vis Fortune. But he looked at Zillow home price data from America's 40 largest metropolitan housing markets and looked at five interesting categories, which I think are relevant. Month over month uh, increases in v values. Standard, right? Standard. Year to date uh, increases in values. Standard. Mm -hmm. Year over year. So one year ago today. Standard. Down from the absolute peak. And changes since March of 2020. I and like this that. column really got me, you know, tingling and ding ding. Basically, pre pandemic. Yeah. So, all this not seasonally adjusted. The chart Arun is going to pull up, but it's very long, so it's going to be hard to show. Um, story of my life, anyway. Um, and what I like to point out here that I think is important is that when you zoom in and you look at the data since March of 2020, some of these markets are up in an incredibly large amount. New York, New York, 25.80% since March 2020. Los Angeles, 33.83%. Mm -hmm. Chicago, 31.11%. Mm -hmm. Dallas, Texas, 45.35%. Houston, Texas, 37.27%. And it goes up and up. Miami, Florida, by the way, 55.10%. Out of curiosity, is Austin on this list, Holden? Austin is on the list. It's farther down. Yeah, it's I want to see this. You'd be surprised. It's right actually there, right not there. as high up as you think. I was going to say, look, 45% since, that's insane, but down yeah. down 11% year over year. No, 15.9% if you go to the last column there from the peak. From so, the peak, yeah. So at peak, it was up 60, almost 61%. Insane, dude. 61% at the peak. So here, here's my point with this chart from Zillow. Zillow will tell you, and they just did, that they expect... Home values increased north of 6% in 2024. And there, there is some data, that which we've talked about on a previous show, that shows that the, the falling of home prices has stopped and mm -hmm. that we're on a back upward spin. Mm -hmm. But we talked about many, many, many times over the, over the course of the show that this is a very common trend, that data goes up and down, but it'll go down more than it goes up in a downward economy. And in an upward economy, it'll go up more than it goes down. And the peaks and valleys are normal. Right. As you zoom out, it looks like a straight line. But as you zoom in, you see the ups and downs, the peaks right. and valleys. Right. But what my point with this whole thing is, when you look at this data that, that Lance here presented, it's compelling how much we've seen home values rise in the last three years. Yeah, man. And even the small corrections that we had, like Phoenix, Arizona, down almost 9% from their peak. San Francisco down almost 10.61% from their peak. San Francisco still up 19% year uh, over, the, over the 2020 to now. These are big 
positive numbers from where they were at. So anybody who's telling you that a correction, oh, my God, a correction would be so bad. Oh, my God. No, yeah. Dude, there's so much room in these values it's, it's needed to go down. Right. To where you can still lose some value and not destroy the economy and not destroy all the equity people have built in the last three years because they've gone up so incredibly much. Right. So for people to say, oh, it'd be catastrophic. No, it would not. It'd be very, very healthy. Now, what's also interesting is let's look at Austin, Texas as a proxy. Well, okay? it, de it depends, right? It depends how fast it comes down because there's a lot of people that bought that I would venture to guess are didn't pay 20% down. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? that's true. So they would be underwater. And if they had walked away from those properties, that could, that could cause real catastrophe. Well, they could, and that's probably what we're going to see as far as locking people in, but... Here, I'll put it into a different context. Typically speaking, traditionally, in any market, whether you're a stock market, real estate market, a 20% change in value down would yes. considered, be considered a crash. Correct. Austin, Texas is down 15.92% from their peak in hey, 2020. Not far off. They're not far away from a, quote, market crash yeah. difference. And they're still up 45% mm -hmm. since March of 2020. Yeah. That's an incredibly large pivot. Yeah. And yet here we are. So for people who say that, oh, the supply and demand, the value is not going to go down, I would disagree that the value is not going to go down. I think that it is. And I would also argue that the supply and demand at some point will reach an inflection point. And what the, will cause the inflection point, I can't sit here and tell you. I don't know. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something. There's going to be – it, we don't know what the canary in the coal mine is right now, hmm. right? And there's going to need to be a lot of inventory that comes on the market. We're not going to see what happened in 2008 through 2010 all over again, right? 2.9 million homes came on the market. What? Nothing. Just listening to you choke up a little bit. You no. Get, you get emotional talking about it, I understand. Only 100,000 homes right now are expected to be foreclosed on by the end of the year. But we're going to see more. And um, I, I think as we start seeing these payments increase, as we go through the fourth quarter of this year, you will see a significant <laughs> pivot in the data. There it is. There it is. Give it, give it to me. God damn, man. I'm, I'm fighting this. I know. I'm leaving every single one of the show. I know too. you are. I'm trying to fight it. When I edit the show, I'm like, yes, he coughed again. Yeah. Yeah. So according to CNBC, August core inflation, excluding food and energy, like we talked about earlier, rose 0.3% hotter than expected. Mm -hmm. The consumer price index rose 0.6% in August. Its biggest monthly gain since 2023. The inflation gauge rose 3.7% from a year ago, like we talked about. The core number increased 0.3% and 4.3% respectively. Estimates for 0.2% and 4.3% were the estimates going into those increases. Fed officials focus more on core, as Said mentioned earlier, as it provides a better indication of where inflation is heading over the long term. Right. And if we know that core inflation is getting stickier. Yes. And if we know that the Fed has been very clear that they're going to hold rates for a prolonged period of time and they're going to continue to look at data. I have not seen any data going into this September 20th Fed meeting. Right. Uh, 19th and 20th. They'll be announcing their decision on the 20th. That leads me to believe that two things are going to happen. Number one, I don't believe they're going to increase the Fed funds rate because there's not enough data supporting it right now. What would happen if they raised it again? Uh, I think it would be catastrophic to some industries, the banking being industry being one of them. Mm -hmm. And look, I, I am not going to sit here and tell you that I think that bankers are loved like lawyers or some people in the insurance space. Mm -hmm. 
people don't have pity for certain people in sectors. They've been villainized, as our reviewer commented uh, themselves. And I get that. I don't think anybody feels bad for the banks. And I'm not saying you should. But what I am saying is the consumer. I'm saying you should. I'm saying you should. Feel bad for the banks? Yeah. 100% I'm saying you should. Yeah. Why is that? Because they were only required to stress up, up to 4%. And then the Fed goes out, to, goes out and increases rates up to 5.5%. You left me with no choice but to, you know, not show, you know, profitable earnings. Mm -hmm. And now another increase of 25 basis points, which is 0.25%, right, for, for those who are uninitiated. That w could require 1,100 banks to go cash flow negative. Right, assuming assuming their their expense line items stays right, the same. Yes. Assuming they don't do any more of the crazy layoffs and you know manage their expenses. But here's here's the thing though is I don't think that it'll get to that. Um, but also one more point though. No, I don't know. So you. many small businesses rely on these regional regional banks. Yeah. Right. They're the ones that truly understand the business, right, mm -hmm. and give them the loans to be able to operate. If those banks go down, what happens to those small businesses? Yeah. No, they're, they're going to have trouble. So those people should worry about and feel bad for the bankers. Well, I'll tell you right now, the small businesses are going to have trouble. Yeah. Banks aren't going aren't gonna to be willing to lend. Not only is there a liquidity crunch going on right now, but the next cycle will be a credit crunch. And if you're a small business, you're not going to get that. Arun, go back to that previous chart. I wanted to highlight one thing on that chart. Did you see how he called you a bitch right there? I didn't. I said, you're, I, I you're, <laughs> I'm sad. Between his coughing and your bitch assness back there, <laughs> it's been very difficult for me to carry this show. You got, carry the show? I got to be honest. I'm doing a lot of weight here. You know what I mean? Yeah, we know. We know. You didn't have to point in my stomach when I said that. Come on. That's hurtful. Yeah. See, when I say it, it's sarcasm. When you say it, it's hurtful. It's meant to be. Is it? No. Mission accomplished. Okay. Arun, are you feeling okay back there? Yes, sir. You've been very quiet this entire show. You know what I think he wants? He wants us to get a bigger space so he can feel included in the room. Put him in the room? Yeah, he's like, so he does a lot of throat clearing. <laughs> make sure he feels, the red button. He feels, he feels like he's on timeout. So I figured if we put a camera back there on him, we have to actually put it to the side so we can see the red buttons. Yeah. Make him pick up the camera shows. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that we don't trust you. It's just that we don't trust your fingers. I hate you guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the reason why I thought this chart was important to highlight, U.S. Consumer Price Index year-over-year -year percentage change through August 2023. This is the data we gave you at the top of the show. But it, it, the visual here is important. It gives you all items in this dark blue line, and if you're driving, I understand that you can't, you can't see that. And it shows that inflation effectively, including all items, has ticked back up to 3.7%. The, the visual of it ticking back up is pretty clear. However, excluding food and energy, which is how the Fed typically likes to look at this, although this is not core inflation PCE, this is still the way they like to look at all inflation, including CPI. Yes, it's one of the reports they consider. They consider, exactly. You're seeing a slow and gradual tapering off the dotted light blue line if you're watching this on YouTube. And what this really is telling you, if you look at it just high level, it means that the rate of decline of inflation is slowing. Mm -hmm. Because we've said multiple times leading up to this episode that you have to have rent and rent equivalent go down, which is the home prices we just talked about, in order to get this number down to that 2 to 3% target rate. And it will continue to slow and get sticky until such time as those items and for the listeners that hear this and you hear us say 3.7%, 4.3%, you know, I don't, what's, the, what's the big deal? Look, the Fed's target range is 2%. It's more than double. That's what you need to know. So there's still a ways away. And it gets harder to get down to that final figure. Simple.
What Saeed is trying to say is, Chris, stop making it so complicated. Yeah, God damn it. God yeah. Damn it. Just break it down. They yeah. want to know. The people want to know. We close or we not close? We're not close. We're not close. No. Uh, we are closer than we once were, but we're yes. not close. All right. The last article for today before we get into the sexiest part of the show, the sassy part of the show, the expedite-filled rage part of the show, mm-hmm. is from CNBC. Fears over access to credit hit highest level in more than a decade, a New York Fed survey shows, and rightfully fucking so. Yeah. Because the banks, as we've highlighted in this, are already seeing stress. And if our supposition, like we commented on the New on the Wall Street Journal article about banks and their quote hot deposits, are is true that banks have been downgraded. Mm-hmm. Banks are going to do what we knew they were going to do before. There's a liquidity, you know, crunch where they basically say, "Hey, we don't have the money to spend and put out, so we're going to start pulling back on loans." And oh, by the way, as these businesses and individuals start defaulting, a credit tightening cycle happens. In addition to that, now you got a liquidity tightening cycle. And a credit tightening cycle so at the it, same time. What is a credit tightening cycle? So let's say I have a bank and I have lots of consumer debt, uh, lines of credit or credit cards, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people stop paying, mm-hmm. right? Now I've got defaults. I've got a reserve. I've got to take those reserves and apply it towards losses from an accounting perspective. Don't worry about that. But what you do need to worry about is that now I've got to be cautious about how much credit I put out there because now the risk associated with that credit is higher. Right. So I've got to protect from losing more money. Right. And from this article, it was a survey. It showed that the mean expectation of losing one's job in the next year rose by two percentage points to 13.8%, the highest since April of 2021. Yeah. And I, I, always, I always think about that. You know, to this day, fun fact, mm-hmm. I have always been, like, afraid of being jobless. Yeah, it's a scary thought, man. It, to the idea it just, like, freaks me out. Even though you got the reserves? It's not the reserves that, that I, don't, I don't know what it is. Like you're I, well positioned. You could take that hit. Yeah, I, I know. But it's like people always say that. Like they're like, oh, bro, you're good. You got all this. Yeah, but I got more now. I don't want less later. Yeah, I got I got more to lose now. Yeah. like yeah. Well, it's not even that. It's it's like, like let's say, people, oh, Chris, you could lose your job, this and that, or you could you have other assets. Yeah, but <laughs> I'm making a good salary now. Right. I've got a good thing going, and I have all that. Yes. So just giving away a piece of that in a worst-case event scenario that one of these things goes away. Yeah, you're never going to want it to go away. Doesn't mean that it's not painful. And why this matters so much is, you know, these. I know we we routinely say on the show that we don't like a lot of surveys sometimes because, you know, it could be skewed. Who's, who, who's actually responding to the survey, right? But why it matters is expectations from people out there influences behavior. Behavior impacts demand which ultimately impacts inflation. Okay? So, if people are ex- the way inflation actually really works, it works ass backwards. When people see inflation, they think, "Oh shit, the price of everything is going up. Let me go out and buy it now so before it continues to go up," which ultimately causes inflation to continue to go higher. Right? If they would just pull back and wait for it to come back down, that would ultimately help. But if they see prices coming down, what they what do they tend to do? I'm not gonna buy now. Prices are coming down. I'm actually gonna wait till it comes down even further. I've got a better example. Mm. Toilet paper. <laughs> toilet paper is a great example. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Yeah, we all went through it. We all went through it. I don't think you understand what I'm going for, but it's okay. You went through the toilet paper. I know you went no. through. No, no. Why is it gotta be always nasty with you? I'm sorry, man. Don't be that guy. Yo, you know. You gotta think about gross shit every time. Okay, Me? just to make a toilet paper reference. Okay. Remember during the pandemic? Yeah. You went to the store, and everybody and their mother was just, like, sold out of toilet paper. The shelves were just empty. God damn it. 
we preemptively created a rush that created a pricing problem and a supply chain problem for toilet paper because we were just afraid. I never did it, though. I never stocked up like that. I didn't. I wish I did. Really? You ran out? Uh, no, I didn't run out. You were fearful. But you're, you're also like, I mean, you're what? the guy who uses the, the water bucket in the hand. Bro, you're, <laughs> I use, we have a bidet. What are you talking about? Ooh, you fancy. Yeah. Palazzo's got a bidet. Bro, Should have known it. that was coming. Installed it myself. I bet you did. Yeah. Does it have like a, you know. A what? Like a heated seat too and everything in the No, bro. Do you have like a golden seat or something? This is not going to work out well for you. Do you have a TV in your bathroom? I want you to know, when you buy what? your house, okay, I'm doing a vlog episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing the camera. Chris I, invited me over to the new crib. Do that. Do that. I'll knock yourself out. Yeah, and I'm going to show everybody. You can do that because that's never going to happen. You're going to be like Donald Trump with these gold toilet seats. I know you. No, you stop. <laughs> See, this is the villain in you. You build up this fa you know, fake rhetoric. Yeah. My house, fact or not, okay? Mm -hmm. Fact or cap. Okay. Your house is bigger than mine. No. That's cap. <laughs> that's, what are you talking about? Which, which one of your houses? Stop how that. How many houses you own? Stop that. Christopher, how many houses no, that, you own? No, I have one that no, I live I'm in. I'm sorry, which one? Don't do that. You have a three-story house. I have a two. Dude, get the fuck out of here, bro. Your, your Wait, house is three the one, times the square footage is mine. Well, we would go down this rabbit hole, Christopher. We go down what rabbit hole? You want to go? Yeah, I don't live in those houses. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. There you go. You're Stop it. Shit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's go. So now you're going to take the aggregate like square footage there of homes go. that I own? There that, you go. That's terrible. Yeah. You're a terrible human being. So let's see. You want to get into this question first or address the, the three-star? Ooh. Let's get into the question first. I like this question. This from our guy. You actually know him. But you know, he, he likes me more than you. Oh, who's this? A boy, Tyler Bishop. Tyler, you son of a bitch. You sent him a question and not me? You know, he knows that I'll, I'll actually answer the question. That's why. Wow. Mm -hmm. So Tyler asked. Oh, you're getting a DM right after this. <laughs> uh, mortgage insurance and why it's required. If the banks are entitled to the underlying asset, meaning the mm -hmm. home, yep. right? And if the borrower should default, why, um, why do they need to purchase mortgage insurance? Additionally, if they're concerned about the risk, why wouldn't this just show up in a higher interest rate? Yeah. Uh, okay. Lots to unpack there. Let's start with the basics. Okay. So a home's value is not just the underlying land that it's on, right? So if I'm buying a piece of real estate, okay, the land that it's on has got a separate value. The improvements or the building that's on it, your physical home that you occupy, that has a different value. So whenever you get an appraisal for a home, it's usually the land value plus the improvements, the building that's on top of it. That aggregate value is, generally speaking, where your appraisal value, appraised value is coming from. Obviously, they have several different ways of deriving it, uh, all, all a different topic for a different show. But the fact of the matter is, is the improvements, that building on top of it provides value. Mm -hmm. When you're getting things like mortgage insurance, which I'm assuming you're talking about hazard insurance, which is generally required. No, no, no. I, think what, I think what he's talking about is mortgage insurance, like PMI. Oh, PMI. I, 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 that's how I took it. I, I didn't take it that way because if uh, they're entitled to the underlying asset, Mm -hmm. Why would they need private mortgage insurance? Private mortgage insurance insures the bank's title situation. Mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a different... Right. Yeah, it, it's a different risk default perspective. But I guess yeah. the question is... I think that one. I think it's more that one because I think he, he understands what why they need insurance on oh, the building. Okay, so, so PMI, all right. So basically, they're taking on inherently more risk in giving you a loan at a higher leverage point. Right. So think of it also like this, right? The, if the borrower is buying a house and they're not putting 20% down, mm -hmm. right, and we're in the current economy that we're in, right. and there's potential layoffs right around the corner, mm -hmm. and you come in with your Zillow-ass loan, 
when you put down 1%. Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like you could walk away from this property and I've invested 99% into this property. Mm-hmm. I need an insurance company to share this risk with. Because you have to understand there's disposition costs. If they were to sell it, they have to go through a broker. There's holding costs. They have to hold it for a couple months. There's repair and maintenance if you left it in a bad right. con- condition, disarray. If you, def- if you defaulted on right. it and, I, and, I, have, and I, I actually do take it back, by the time I list it and get it online, I'm losing money month over month. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and odds are I'm not going to get that 99% back. And uh, I would say the risk of default for most people is in the beginning much higher than it is over time. So as you've had a, a loan for longer, the risk of default goes down over time. And you could argue that that's because people have more equity in their home over time, or you could argue that they're just more stable over time. But the end result is that's just where the data works. Right. And the, to the last point is, especially during this time, as home values continue to go up, it's going to be harder and harder for people to come up with a 20% down payment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in order to provide you know, the accessibility to more borrowers, this is the way that they can come out and get more people in the game. And there are some lenders, to your question, that do actually uh, have non-PMI programs at higher loan-to-values, and they do price it in to the rate. Yes. Uh, I would say those are generally less attractive to most people because you generally are paying more in the course of interest over the life of the loan. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you why you as a consumer don't want that. If you have private mortgage insurance on your, let's say you got a 90% loan-to-value home and you get private mortgage insurance, right? Yep. If your home appreciates in value and you pay it down for the course of, I don't know, like a year, and now you're at 80% loan-to-value, you can refinance and get rid of the PMI or contact your lender, and some lenders will just remove it right there and there, versus paying a higher interest rate for the course of your loan. Mm -hmm. This is a a better opportunity or option for you because you're paying less interest over time in theory. Right. Now, you may still want to refinance because rates went the other way, but at the end of the day, if you can get your PMI removed from your lender by just calling them up saying, hey, I want an appraisal on my property, the value has gone down. Yeah. And I've done this before. They'll re- yeah, it's called, I think, recasting, right? Yeah. They'll, After they'll, six months? Uh, yeah. They'll, depending on, mm-hmm. they'll recast. Some lenders treat it differently. Some people just remove the PMI portion of it because the loan value is in yeah. a safe place. I can give you a personal story for me. This last house that we bought, I had, we had, my wife and I had enough to put 20% down on the house, right? But if you remember correctly, the appraisal came in low and the seller wanted wanted me to meet them halfway in the middle. Mm-hmm. So I had to come out 15 grand out of pocket additionally. Wow, boss so hard. No. Should, do we have play Jay-Z during the segment while no, you're saying that? this ain't Southern OC. I know it's, it's a whole different game in Southern Orange County. But so that 15 grand, right, I, I, can't, I can't get a loan for that. That comes out of my pocket, right? So then from there, I ha- still had enough, but now my savings account would have been completely depleted. And my wife and I, we bought um, an older home, original, Single owner, never sold to anybody else, so it needed a lot of work done. So I opted, or we opted, to put 17% down, right, pay the PMI. It made more sense for me to have a little bit of liquidity, also saved up for a rainy day, and still be able to make some renovations in the house. Sure enough, six months later, recasted, the property value went up, and my PMI fell off. But I would not advise that now, in this current environment yeah uh probably not the best strategy but bottom line private mortgage insurance insures the lender not you in the worst case event scenario that you stop making your payments right the the pmi payment for me was like 70 bucks yeah it's generally not a super costly add to most properties but it really depends on where you are in the country and what your mortgage is yes relative to a smaller mortgage it it could be a pretty substantial portion yeah so i hope that answers your question tyler but i'm disappointed that you asked Said, not me 
And uh, this is the part of the show where I have to hold back a, a visible amount of frustration. Mm. Should I read I it? Was, uh, no, no, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. I want to set this up. I was on the treadmill. No, sorry, Stairmaster. And uh, I'm gingerly walking up flights of stairs thinking about how I needed a fucking win in my day. That's what I needed. I needed a win. It's been a lot of L's for me lately. Mm-hmm. Um, been a lot of tough times. And I go, you know what? I'm going to see if we got a new review on the show. Because I, I, um, I need some positivity. Mm-hmm. You went down. Is, oh, wow. We got two new reviews. Two new reviews. One of which was the one from Canada, I think, which posted. Yes. And then the second one was this one. And then I saw the, the, high, the, the title. And I was immediately offended. Mm-hmm. Stick to, uh, what was it? Stick to economics and banking. And I was pissed. I read it the first time, still pissed. And then I read it again. And then I thought, okay. This is a legitimate question, and I think there's room for us to clarify. Mm-hmm. But I will say, as a caveat, this person clearly didn't listen to the entire episode. At the end of the episode, and I'll read the quote in a second, we actually went over a Wall Street Journal article. We defended the insurance agency. And in, in, in these two charts that we showed, we showed that not only were national disasters happening, but more insurable events are happening. Vis-a-vis this, we justified why the insurance agencies are requiring higher premiums, not insuring properties, and explaining that their their profitability is immensely strained as a result of some of these year-after-year occurrences. And I think I even went in to show two examples that the two largest, you know, catastrophes that happened were in the last 20 years. Yes. So very recent. Yes. But let's read let's read the review. All right, let me clear my throat for this one. Let me clear my throat. Here we go. I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna say the name. All right, in case somehow somebody can decode this and go after this guy. I don't want that. Or girl. Yeah, I, don't, I don't want that. Either. Or girl. Yeah. You're uninformed about the situation in the insurance market. Damn, bro. You uninformed? I mean, you feel uninformed? Maybe. I don't. Well, I don't know. Let's go on. Look into reinsurance capacity and regulation by states. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the crippling regulation and the way that states are requiring private for-profit companies to cover losses to an extent that make profit impossible. Seems impossible because people want to vilify the insurers. Not all companies are profitable right now. In fact, I think they meant in fact, almost none are. Okay. So... This pissed me off to no end. I'm a banker. I'm an attorney. My father's a mortgage broker. Uh, I, I uh, my whole family's in real estate, and I can tell you the the every bit of who I am is hated in some sector by somebody. Oh, you're a banker? Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're an attorney? Fuck you. I get that. I've been vilified a lot. Said vilifies me on this fucking show. Warranted. A lot. Right. And. To think that I don't have empathy or an understanding for how insurance companies can be vilified that way, that's wrong. That's just a material misrepresentation. And just food for thought. If we vilify or make fun of somebody at the top of the show, but then go on to the back of the show to justify them, it's no different than what happens to us on the show that's entertaining to you. Mm -hmm. So it's funny when it's us, but it's not funny when it's you. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm hearing. And what I'll say is if you Google... Because I do, believe it or not, we do research for the show. Yeah. I'm not claiming to be an insurance subject matter expert. 
But I do know the business and I do know the sector because it's very near and dear to my heart. And I spend a lot of time with insurance, not only on a corporate level for the companies and the structure that we have in place, but also for all my other companies and for also for my real estate and for everything else that I do. And obviously I have cars and everything else, right? And they should know that if the insurance companies don't do well, we don't do well. Exactly. But I will say like many, many, many sectors, what happens? Insurance companies... When they have a wonderful year of profitability in the sector, which 2022, by the way, had some massive profits. I'm going to read you some quotes on that. 2023, not so good. But what are we seeing in 2023? The, the industry, the sector as an aggregate, a bigger picture. And I don't know what this person's role is in the space, but when we talk about sectors, you got to look beyond your job. What you do every single day. you got to look beyond if you're an insurance agent or you're on the backside as an underwriter. I don't care. It's bigger than you or me. Mm -hmm. It's an entire sector that is strained. And yes, this person is right. There are some crippling, if you want to use that word. I don't like that word for it. But there are some very restrictive state legislature and rules that are coming out. And there's certainly some impacts on the coast and places that are hit by hurricanes and tornadoes and other natural disasters, which in and of themselves have been billion-dollar problems for insurance agencies. Right. But to think that they won't pass this along to increase their profitability in the next year and the rest of this year would be foolish and unwise. Mm -hmm. Insurance companies have historically been profitable over the long run and still remain to this day as one of the most profitable businesses in America because they continue to increase their margins. Mm -hmm. And yes, this has not been a great year for them. That doesn't mean they're not going to make money. Right. Have I, have I been as passionate as I need to be for that? or yeah, more, more than enough. And I mean... Me personally, I had experience of it with this just last week. The exact topic that we were talking about. I had a deal that I underwrote start to finish. All I was waiting on was an insurance quote to close the deal, to make sure that the deal cash flowed. The borrower, and it was they were assuming a loan. It was an assumption. And what did they do? They withdrew the loan because they could not find an insurance company out there willing to give them flood insurance. Yeah. And that's that's another problem. But let me let me read a quote from just Googling something simple as, is insurance profitable right now? Pretty simple. This is the top line from Google. In 2022, big insurance revenues reached $1.25 trillion and profits soared to $69.3 billion. That's a 300% increase in revenue and a 287% increase in profits from 2012 when revenue was 412 billion and profits were 24 billion. So look, I get that the sector is tough right now. I get that the sector is tough right now for banks. I get that there's going to be consolidation and M&A activity for banks. I'm a banker. This impacts me. I don't expect pity, but neither should the insurance agency either. You're in the business of insuring these problems and working with the nuance, and you have to deal with government restrictions and regulations the same way that I do in the banking space. And you know what? I'll be honest. From a banker's perspective, sometimes it's just fucking unfair. It is. Sometimes you just don't do as well, and it doesn't matter how well you don't do, nobody fucking feels bad for you. Yeah, and guess what? If, if, you, if you're in Jamie Dimon's camp mm -hmm. and you believe that a recession is around the corner, how do insurance companies operate, Right. They take premiums in from people. When they, what do they do with those premiums? They invest a portion of it. Yeah, They're not going to be making a whole lot of money at the end of this year. Let me tell you, with, with those investments, okay? Maybe leading into next year too. 
So what do they have to do? They got to pull back. So that's just the nature of the business right now. It is, but I'll say this: like I don't, I don't begrudge this person as much as I sound like frustrated. We try I, to use it as a teaching. It's a good teaching example. I would appreciate you pivoting to a five star review, if I'm being honest. And uh, I hope they listened all the way to the end of this particular episode, unlike the other one. Eh, you know, mm. just saying. Yeah. But uh, no harm, no foul. We don't expect to be a perfect podcast, and and I do apologize if we offended anybody. We still love you, though. We we well, m- me or them? No, them because Not they're me. gonna they're gonna give us a five star. Oh yeah, them, that per- be- though that individual person. Yeah. Oh yeah, they'll change it. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. Don't be that guy or girl. You're it's a very th- confusing name. I don't know if it's a guy or girl. <laughs> You're better than that. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've come to the climax. Oddly quiet. Arun has been uncharacteristically quiet. And I got to tell you, it's weirding me out. Anything over there, big boy? Nothing. <laughs> I tried to sit quiet on purpose. No, nothing. That, that was funny for you. Yeah. 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 All right. Ready? No, that's not the way I want to go out. How do you want to go out? Let's go out with a bang. That's a Mike Breen reference. Arun, do me a favor. You don't know what that is. While Saeed and I are talking right now, I want you to go over to the fridge, grab a beverage, and crack it open on the mic for for our way out tonight because you really left us hanging today on on traditional. I can't believe you didn't crack open again. I'm very disappointed. Then I want you to fucking down that thing real quick and see how high you get. (laughs) How many other things you want to down? Yeah. Y'all ready? Let's do it. Yep. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye.